This week on the Recruitment Flex, Shelly answers what makes a great recruiter. Working from home as a retail worker, DJ Soul gets a reality check, and Indy shares his March data. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge, and as always, joined by my lovely co-host, Shelly Billinghurst. How's it going, Shelly? Serge, it's going really well. Uh, for me, anyways, you've got a bit of a nasally sound. What's going on with you, man? Uh, as you know, when you have a lot of young kids, you get a lot of colds and a lot of things. Pretty sure it's not COVID, but yes, I am nasally. I am <laughs> recovering uh, from a man cold. And God bless you, Serge, because... You're not laying in bed crying, honey. Can you bring me the Kleenex box? Here you are. No, I did that Monday. You're on the show. Was it? Oh, yes. I couldn't move Monday. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I went through that phase and now I toughen up. Like, it it takes me a day, then I I toughen up. But what's going on with you, Shelly? What's new in your world? Oh, my God. So, if anybody's been following, I had this whole saga of replacing my furnace and hot water heater and three toilets. And I live in a condominium association managed building. So you need actually to advise the condo board, especially when you're having something like this done. They don't want you to be hiring your next door neighbor's first cousin's friend to be doing natural gas (laughs) and stuff like that. Like you need certified people. So I submit all my paperwork, fill in all the forms, check back, follow up with them. Did you get everything you need? Yes, they have everything they need. This has been going on since the beginning of March. It's now the end of March and it's done. They sent me an email yesterday saying that we didn't approve it and to stop all work. Uh, Who am I going to talk to about this? And I'm thinking, I got a phone surge. (laughs) I didn't because I knew you weren't feeling well, but it really shook me because I'm like, oh my God. So what, what do you, do, you do from here? It's already done. Did you tell them it's already done? <laughs> Fucking idiots. Like, no shit. By law, they I guess they can't stop you because it's heating and water. I understand why they want it done. But to send me an email 20 days later saying, stop all work? <laughs> Fuck off. How, how did they find out? Like just by Somebody reported me. Well, Somebody reported, reported that there was work being done. This drives me crazy when people report you for those types of things. Like, Karen, mind your own business. Like, who cares? Oh, my God. Done. I know. I'm just like, holy shit. So, anyways, yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, Well, you've always been like, fuck the man. I wouldn't go that far. But, no, actually, just the opposite, Serge. Like, I did absolutely everything. All of the tradespeople that I hired had to agree. Like, it's a five-page document. So I knew I was like on the right side, but fuck, I don't know. Anyways. Anyways, well, the whole point of this is I had no one to talk to. You can call me. You can call me. And this I was going to first... phone Serge because I know you and I are so on top of all this kind of home management stuff. But this is, oh my God, condo bylaws. Oh dear God. But hey, Shelly, I did want yes. to bring up something. So yesterday I got a question and I felt really embarrassed because someone asked me in the industry saying, what makes a really great recruiter? And it took me a while to answer. I had to think about it. And we talk about this all the time. So I'm like, why couldn't I answer that right away? So I wanted to ask you, 
what makes a really good, great recruiter? In great recruiter. Opinion? Okay. Yeah. Because there's a difference between a good recruiter and a great recruiter. Yes. First of all, make sure we're, we're talking true recruiter. This is somebody who does this for a living. This is not an HR person who's been asked to do some interviews. Right? Yeah. So a great recruiter, first and foremost, thinks like a salesperson. That is, they understand that their job is to sell the hiring leader on candidates, and their job is to sell this opportunity to a candidate. This is sales, and it is not administration. When I break that down and I think about what are the things that make great salespeople, first of all, they have endless energy. Would you agree? Like their energy level is always at 100%, right? This is how you make a living is on sales. Your ability to say wonderful things about your company a hundred times a day with the same level of energy on the first time is on the hundredth time. That's talent. And I would also say creativity is another characteristic. And lastly, assertive. So I think assertive is the biggest one that's missed because if you don't demand the tools you need to get your job done, you will fail. You need to be able to confidently get in front of whoever you need to get the tools so you can get your job done. Well, no, I wrote all of that down because the next time it's a lot quicker. But yeah, I completely agree with everything you mentioned there. You talked about sales. I think you have to have some marketing knowledge, but maybe we're asking too much sometimes. You need to be this and this. But the ability to interact, to understand from marketing, to be successful and to going out in the market is critical as well. Absolutely. And when you talk to salespeople, that's what they say. If you've got a great marketing team, that's what creates the awareness about your product, right? And that's marketing's job, not sales. And so it is asking too much to think that a recruiter can also be a marketer. Pick one. You can't have both. Mm. Just like great salespeople would never want a job in marketing. And great marketing people can't close a sale to save their life. That's not their job. I agree. I think a lot of people that are in sales would want to be in marketing, but I think you're completely right with people in marketing. There's, I've never met a marketing person that can close a deal ever. So no, you're 100% that's, right. that's not a skill set that they have. I believe it's like we are brothers from another mother. Same dad, different mothers. Thank you for that, Shelly. <laughs> I do want to jump into an article that I read. So the article here, we talk a lot about working from home and we we ignore like a large segment of the working population that has to go to the office. This includes trades, includes retail, includes food service, or there's all these roles that they don't have that option about staying working from home. But this article states, can store associates work from home? So the example in this article is, Someone that's working in Nordstrom, I read a book about Nordstrom and their whole sales philosophy. They are very hardcore salespeople in the way they approach they it. Are. They build a client list. They proactively reach out. Hey, we got this new shoe. You should come in. And they have that relationship with that buyer that usually they say, just ship it to me. Yeah, if I totally trust you. I'll buy it from you. And it really opens up the discussion is... Is there a possibility of some of these roles that are retail could actually be done from home? I wanted to get your take from that. Yeah. I loved the fact that we're even talking about this. So you're right. There's some jobs that you can't, like food service. 
Unfortunately, you need to go where the customers are. Plumbers, electricians, you need to go where the work is, right? For the foreseeable future, those will continue to be where you need to bring in staff. But retail, I love this because Nordstrom's for salespeople, certainly in the US, I don't know how they structure their commission here in Canada, but if you've ever had the Nordstrom experience, especially in the shoe department, you're absolutely right. If I built a relationship with the top salesperson, like he or she, they need to come in, see the new products. They truly become influencers, certainly your top salespeople. Now that's all good and fine. So long as they're bringing others along with them. Like this whole thought process that you can't mentor people if you work remote. I'm saying so long as you keep thinking like it's 1972, of course you can't. I think if anybody's going to do it, it'll be a company like Nordstrom's. Okay. So how do you envision a store associate working from home in this case? Not 100% work from home because you're right. Like they need to be able to be the influencer on the product. Yeah. Right. Like the article talked about great salespeople, whether it's shoes or ladies wear or men's clothes. I see it as a hybrid, right? Where you track your clients. This is all done electronically, but you're still not losing that personal experience that, you know, if I fully trust the, the salesperson and they said to me, listen, this just came in, ship it to me. If I don't like it, I'll ship it back. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of times they've worked with that particular sales rep for decades. And and that's always been the model with Nordstrom is you you build a relationship. And and you're the perfect demographic because I I could totally see you build that relationship with a salesperson and salesperson send you a text saying you need these shoes. I know you would buy those shoes. Like 100%, there's no doubt. And there's a lot of people like you in that sense. If they came to me and be like, when they're half price, then you can (laughs) shoes, but not right. 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 So true. This really ties nicely into what happened last week in New York City. So Nordstrom's is thinking about this. Other retailers, this is brick and mortar stores that own property all over the planet, right? Goldman Sachs. And I know we've talked about them a few times over the last couple of years because, uh, DJ Soul, like their CEO is actually a DJ in New York. So DJ Soul decided he is going to mandate everybody back to the office in New York City full time. Now, I believe there was some sort of caveats. Some managers have discretion. They even got the mayor of New York City involved saying we need everyone back to the office. And so that day came. And of the 10,000 people that work in New York for Goldman Sachs, only 5,000 showed up. Yes. Discuss, search. Discuss. Well, there, there's a couple of points. DJ Soul is, his name is David Solomon. And he's been saying this for a really long time because they've built their whole culture on bringing in very junior people and having them be mentored mm-hmm. with people within the office. And a lot of this is if you're working at Goldman Sachs and you're coming out of school, you're working 80 to 100 hours. It's really a sweatshop in a sense, but 
they're, they're exchanging the sweatshop for you will be able to get a job anywhere at any company at any time after you leave Goldman Sachs. It's such a great thing to have your resume if you are in that space. He feels that if they're not in the office together and they have so many junior associates that they're not going to get the same training, the same level of expertise. And so he wants everyone in the office and he's not the only one. So JP Morgan uh, and Morgan Stanley have said exactly the same. But there's a couple of competitors, Citigroup and UBS are like, no, this is a new way of work. We're going to adapt to it. It's really interesting that half of the people just showed up. And mm -hmm. I think there might be a delay and there's some fluctuation in numbers. The one question that I'm thinking is like, how many people just moved away from New York City? Because if you're living in New York City, you're junior, you're not making that much money, you can't really afford. So are these people actually not even living in New York anymore? And the company doesn't know. I, I wonder if that's even a thing. Some of these people realize, hey, like, I don't really care about Goldman Sachs anymore. I'm going to go work at Citigroup or UBS and make the same amount of money, have the ability to work from home or be flexible at least. So tell me, what are your thoughts? This whole notion, like whether it's Nordstrom's or Goldman Sachs, if you're still thinking in olden day terms, like yeah. olden day, meaning three years ago, <laughs> about mentorship, training, relationships, knowledge transfer, and you're thinking it can only happen in person. And I know we've said a number of times over the last couple of years, would the iPhone have been invented if they weren't working in person? I call bullshit that you need to be in person because we just proved it. Like, does it mean that there was no innovation in the last two years? Just the opposite. People evaluated what they wanted to do. And rather than keep doing a job you fucking hate, which yeah. you're unproductive in, they said, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. So I think it is very small thinking that you can't be innovative, that you can't create relationships, that you can't find a mentor, and that you can't be trained if you're working remote. I think there's a hidden agenda, Shelley, in that sense, because a lot of these people that are mandating or want people to come back in the office, there's a little bit of a power trip. Like, I need to see them in their seat. We've talked about that. But the other element is they own a ton of real estate. They've done yeah. a lot of real True. estate. Obviously, there's a vested interest of having people come back in the downtown core, like all the restaurants. All, there's a whole all ecosystem of, down there, for sure. There's a whole ecosystem. But yeah. also the reality is like, has the world changed? Is that not important anymore? And I get it. So I think a lot of people are still thinking, I want it to be the way it was. And a lot of workers are like, fuck no, I don't want it to be the way it was. I don't want to be commuting hours to go to work. I don't want to be spending $40 for a lunch when I can make a lunch for $2 at home. I want to see my kids. So we talk a lot about- yeah, I want to spend my money differently. Like, absolutely. Your $40 lunch, the commute, the time, and then your rent is $3,000 a month for right? like, versus like a, having a beautiful home 200 miles away. People got smarter. Like when we didn't have a choice, you had to move to New York if you wanted to work for them. We realized that's bullshit. Fortunately, people are, are voting with their feet. And I think Ira said on the show that we just released this week, 25% say, not even an increase in wages would bring me back. No. 25% said I'd quit. Yeah. If you said I had to come back Monday to Friday, I'd quit. 25%.
that's bold. Yeah. And the reason we talk about this, Shelly, is because in recruitment, it is, and it's going to be even more, a bigger challenge. So recruiters yeah. working for these organizations that are mandating people to come back in the office, it's going to be one of the hardest jobs in recruitment out there. Yeah. Uh, so one last point on that, actually, yeah. is, so I think you nailed it. And what I love about Nordstrom is they're actually looking at different ways that they could potentially innovate and in how they can see the future of the world of work as Goldman Sachs here is just like, no, let's just have it the way it was because we knew it worked, but the world is moving past them. I'm not saying the fit for everyone is to come back into an office or to work from home, but I think every company needs to figure out what is the right strategy and how can they be the most effective in a hybrid or whatever the case is. But I want to talk about something else about recruitment. So it was sent to me by a close friend, an old boss, who is a fantastic... Don't say old. No, well... Former. She, <laughs> former, sorry. Former boss. Yeah, she'll kill me if she's listening. Oh my God. I uh, she's the same age as I am. <laughs> So companies who ask for voluntary information as far as like race, age, and gender. Age? Seriously? Yes. So how do we know this information isn't being used to discriminate? To her, and I agree, seems like a license for collecting information employers have been trying to get for years. And if as a candidate, you don't volunteer that information, is there any inference that are being drawn from that. So I've never been asked that question. I've never really thought about it. And I'm seeing it more and more that companies are asking for information saying, hey, you can volunteer the information. We don't leverage it for anything else but our internal data. But do we trust that? Can we trust corporations with that data? Does she have a point? Holy shit, yes. Oh my God. I know why companies do it. American, not Canadian. American companies, depending on your industry, if say in the transportation or anything federally related, you have to be able to report that you have no perceived barriers of discrimination. So how ironic, this is as you apply for the job. When I'm working with clients in the US that have this requirement, the first thing I ask is, do you have to ask it up front? And the response is yes, because they need to report to the federal government that of their applicants, doesn't mean they hired them, but of the applicants, they have different sectors of what they're asking for in terms of that data. Now, age, I don't think is on there. It is if they require you to enter the dates in which you graduated, especially if it's a mandatory field, all of which, as you know, Surge, is designed by HR, not by recruiting. This is why my response back to our good friend would be, this is what happens when you let HR have the keys to the car. They fucking designed this. If you're thinking in terms as a lawyer or as an HR person, how do we protect the organization? How do we stay compliant? So it comes back to what I said earlier. A great recruiter will be assertive and say, we'll collect the information, but we need to find another way. Asking people to disclose this as part of the application process and thinking that it's not going to be used. Now, every company also has in very small, tiny letters in the bottom left-hand corner of the screen is their privacy statement. Rich, you can read until your eyes bleed that say, oh, you can trust us with your information. We won't da-da-da-da. 
it's like asking somebody to read the instructions manual to a VCR from 1972. Are you fucking kidding me? Nobody reads that. Do you think there's any negative effect on the other side as far as if you don't volunteer that information? We know the answer to that, Serge. We I already know. know. Who Tell me who is going to drag themselves through this process. And, and again, it depends on when. It doesn't mean you can't ever collect the information. No, I agree. But it's when in the process are you doing it. If this is part of the apply process, you are fucked. You are fucked. Who, other than someone who's conditioned to it, being maybe my age group, that I will do it, I'll be compliant, but I'm telling you anyone younger, like the the next generations coming up, they look at that and they're out. I am not going to be filling in this crap. They will oh. bail out. And we know that they will abandon the apply process. Okay. Interesting. Because you said you would, and you're probably I'm, in a situation that you could be discriminated for age as an example. or, or Absolutely. What, Especially you, if, yeah, yeah, they're not asking how old you are. So here's how HR has put it, not recruitment, because recruitment thinks like a salesperson, right? We need to qualify the lead first. And yeah. once we qualify you, then we need to ask you, what's your budget? Like it's the whole mentality of it. Would I do it? Yes. Because it's part of my generation to be compliant. It's part of my generation to be more trusting maybe. And because of my experience, I know that there's a privacy law protects them from using it. Now, on the other side of the screen, what they've done is they've hired a junior administrator to screen through the resumes. But that data should not be going into the same data that is coming in through the ATS, right? Like this data should always be separated. This should not be individualized data. If you are individualizing this data and not using it as an information collection for trending data or uh, aggregated data, I think that's against the law, right? You can't do that. No. So that's the logic that the lawyers and HR has decided that they're going to capture this before we even let you apply for the job. So how can we separate the data? Again, the technology is built on 1998. Yeah. Like you're dealing with 1998 technology. You're not dealing with a platform that would be on par with Salesforce or with Hootsuite or any other CRM technology that is designed to ensure that your leads are qualified before you let the salespeople talk to them. Think about the platforms that they're using. It's SAP, Oracle Cloud. Oh, there's a good idea. Let's let lawyers and accountants design our CRM, right? That's where this is coming from. You know what? I'm I'm sorry, my dear friend, but if you're applying for these old, outdated companies, guess what? They're going to drag you through the process. I don't know what the companies are. I don't know if right. they're more old school. I don't know if they're even, they could be new tech companies, but I don't it's think not so. something that I've ever asked ever. And I think you nailed it. Why? And let's just get candidates in and we can qualify them after we've hired them. We can collect that data if we need it for all our diversity stats. So for me, asking for that information, even if it's volunteering that information, it's not appropriate. It feels wrong. It, feels it just feels wrong. gross. Yeah. I'm with you. I have seen it and I do know why they yeah. do it, but it doesn't make it a great experience. If, if you're a great recruiter, you would be assertive and go back to legal and challenge them to fucking solve it. And so if you need um, to advocate 
on behalf of your industry to the federal government, that's legal's fucking problem. Yeah. But in the meantime, if we still want to have a business, we're going to need people. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Talking about needing people, and I think we could have a whole episode on this one. Let's just touch on it because yeah. I thought there was a couple of interesting points. So Indeed released their March 2022 U.S. labor market update, and it also included some Canadian data. What happens in the U.S. is very similar in Canada overall. Can be, yeah. Uh, there was a couple of things that are really concerning to me. And I'll start with why is it so much more expensive to post jobs, to get candidates, obviously supply and demand. And if we look at US and Canada before the pandemic to now, right now, the volume of jobs are posted in Canada on Indeed in the US is dramatically higher. It's 65% higher than it was before the start of the pandemic in Canada, and it's 58% higher in the United States. So that explains why your cost per clicks are dramatically higher. There's a ton more jobs, and there's less job seekers. But the thing that really concerned me, and I've been nervous about this for a while, is the tilt of the wage growth, right? Every sector has been seeing an increase in wage, but the higher earning roles are still seeing that increase. But we're starting to see the lower earning roles. So in the hospitality service industry, those increases during the pandemic have almost completely died down because we're starting to see that workforce come back to work. And the employers are not giving a higher rate than they used to. So we're seeing that sector between the rich and the poor growing even wider and wider, which is very concerning to me. Yeah, I was really surprised to see that as well. Here's my hesitation, because when we just look at the US, realize this needed to happen, the lower wage earners needed to have some sort of bump because people just will not do the job for $7.50 an hour. Yeah, what we're seeing, though, is we are seeing a lot of the prime age workers returning to work. We, we have seen an increase mm -hmm. in the last two to three months of those people returning back to work, which is interesting. The other one, there's been a slight raise in the ones that are looking for urgent jobs. So we, indeed, there's the urgent jobs that are trying to hire quickly. Those roles are getting a better traction now than they ever did. So there are people out there that are like, okay, I, I need to work or I need to change jobs or whatever the case. Yeah. But all of this is muted a little bit in the sense that the quit rates are still going up. Still a lot of people are quitting jobs, which you had predicted. I do think we are getting to the end of the great resignation. I think it's going to be a mixture of both. But we are still going to see elevated quit rates for the next two to three years. And, and part of it is how people look at their jobs. Job hopping is no longer seen as a negative item. We're seeing people in jobs to two to three years. We are going to see that trend probably forever. Like when we talk about the overall landscape of how the world of work is changing, yes, we are going to see people keep quitting jobs every two to three years. Indeed's data is always really good. They have so much data. So yeah. I think there's a lot to see. I am looking forward to after the summer. I think the fall time is the most critical time when it comes to the world of hiring and what our employment market looks like. This is showing us what the trends will look like, but we'll know more by the end of the year. Yeah, some great insights. You're right. Indeed, uh, certainly got the chops yeah. and they have the data. 
They have the data, right? They do. Um, yeah, for sure. All right. So Shelly, another fantastic show. I really miss you doing that interview with Ira without. That was the first time I've done one by myself. It was amazing because Ira is like so good. I don't know if you listened to it. I after, did. Yes, uh, of course I did. I thought he was fantastic. You guys were, but it you guys felt were great. Odd not having you there. And we had one of your interviews by yourself with Katrina, which I thought was fantastic uh, as well. We replayed it not long ago. But let's not do that too often. Okay. I'm, I agree. I agree. It was only because my dear old daddy, it was actually his birthday too. And oh, I had to take dear old daddy to the doctor. Oh, yes. So, Shelly, I hope everything goes well with your condo board and everything. (laughs) And I hope the next time I talk to you, the nasal out of my voice has left. So, thank you, audience. Thanks for listening. Bye, Serge. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.